Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Hello and welcome to the Blue Marble Podcast, a program of the Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, CSNP. I'm your host, Reverend Charlotte Baer, Circle Sanctuary Minister and facilitator of the Green Faith Circle Ministry here at Circle Sanctuary that is committed to education about the climate crisis, climate justice, and eco-activism today impacts and solutions that affect us all. In 1972, the last Apollo mission took a photo of the Earth that showed the big picture of our water-based planet, and this image was named the Blue Marble, and it has become an iconic image for the Earth Day movement and the environmental movement since then. It is also one of the most published and used photographs ever, which tells you something. Blue Marble podcasts examine the current climate crisis, including sources, impacts, solutions available to us now, and we feature guests to help us to understand what is happening to our planet and what we can do about it. Today's special guests are Reverend Sunette and David Ewing. They have been members of the Circle Sanctuary community since 1996 and have been Circle Sanctuary ministers since October 2011. Jeanette and David have done their own climate and environmental research for many years. David is a longtime friend of the environment. Jeanette has a Bachelor of Science in Biology from San Diego State University, and she received a Master of Science in Biology with a concentration in environmental science from George Mason University in 2004. She currently teaches general biology and environmental science at Northern Virginia Community College. They're joining me today to share their insights and experience about transitioning to a solar-powered home. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Thank you. This is a great conversation to have in this year in particular, and maybe starting last year, the Biden administration uh, and our legislators federal legislators, did pass some initial legislation that allowed for um, states to start mandating renewable energy requirements, and Virginia is one of them, Mm -hmm. and from there, uh, solar power companies have been moving towards getting people onto using solar power. Uh, it's worth noting as a background for this currently, and I'm bringing this up for a reason as we talk about uh, some of the things we're going to talk about in a few minutes, to keep in mind for the listeners, right now, the percentage of U.S. homes that are detached homes um, is about 
four million homes are detached homes. That doesn't even count uh, townhomes or condo type homes. So like single family homes? Single, fa- what we call the single family home. Uh-huh. Eight, over 82 million in the United States. Mm. And of that, there's only about 3.2% of U.S. homes that are using, that have solar panels. And that makes up less than 1% of the total U.S. energy production. And compared to Australia, Australia has 30%. And Germany uh, uses, between their homes and small businesses, up to 60% of solar, that solar power, below the 10 kilowatt power usage is, you know, there's 60% of that is from solar. They are one of the European countries that have led Mm -hmm. the way with that. In fact, Mm -hmm. several years ago, when I was teaching this topic in one of my classes, that's where they were at. And it's probably higher than 60% even now. So I thought mm-hmm. it would be good to start off by having this background and comparison of where the United States is versus other countries and yeah. how this is really something that can be utilized to great advantage. Well, let's the- get on it. Let's get on it, USA. And so this is great that you're here with us today because a lot of people think about it. We want it whether we live in single uh, single unit homes or townhomes or apartments or condos, and there seem to be all kinds of barriers to getting it done. So um, it, uh, help, help the listeners understand where you live exactly and exactly what kind of residence are you two in? So we live in Northern Virginia. We're in Prince William County in the, we're in the area of the city of Manassas. Um, and it's a, um, um, so we're about 33 miles, I guess, west of Washington, D.C. So we're in hmm. the D.C. metro area. Um, the area around here is, there's a lot of new growth forests and woods. The, the areas that are not developed are mostly new growth because there's, there's been a lot of clearing and redevelopment and, re, and reclaiming of, of, of forests and stuff. Um, I know where our house is now used to be farmland for that it was forest um mm. you know back in the day um i mean this is you know there's been people living here and developing this area since the 17 1600s um in this this area so there's been a lot of change and stuff of, the, of how the land has been developed and used and stuff around here um mm-hmm. but we're we're in um a urban suburban area um mm-hmm. house we're in a townhouse community we're an end unit townhouse um and our community has about 330 units, uh, homes, um, around here. So it's, um, that's kind of where we're at and kind of what we're, our situation in a nutshell is. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, a lot of people live in townhomes. I know I live out in the West and there's so many commuters and almost all the urban development into suburban areas is increasingly sort of two and three story town homes and these, um, uh, HOAs, you know, cropping up everywhere. So great. Um, now, how how long did you say you lived there, and what was the, the energy source 
for your townhome before solar? So we've lived here since 1999. Mm -hmm. um, our house was built in 93, so it's nearly 30 years old. And next year will be 30 year old uh, house. Um, when we moved in, the house was totally was. So our house is sort of, and these houses are mixed. They're 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 electric, electric and gas. So um, these were built to have gas, um, natural gas, heat, and hot water. And when they were built, everything else was electric in the house. Now, when we first moved in, we had a gas line run to the kitchen, and we had the gas, the electric stove replaced. It was the, the original. You know, the, these houses are built with like the basic appliances that are like the lowest end, you know, kind of a thing. So we had, that's what we had for a stove, was like the low end electric stove. And we had that replaced with the gas stove to use gas. Because at the time, you know, that's for us, that was what we were more comfortable with cooking on. Um, so except for the, the heat, the hot water, and the stove, which are natural gas, everything else in our house is electric. And that's kind of how this was set up. Another um, way they were first built, you know, before they even had the gas lines run into the neighborhoods, it was propane for this stretch. We're in one of the first sections of townhouses. Um, but yeah, so we were uh, we're electric and our AC is electric. Obviously, our AC is electric too because it, it just the gas is heat and hot water and stove and everything else, including air conditioning, is electric. I mentioned air conditioning for a reason. Because of the, in this year in particular, nearly every state in the United States has experienced a heat wave. And it's brought up the topic of central air conditioning. And there's still many places in the United States that do not have it. And oh, yeah. especially older homes yeah. have window units, right. which are, while they're not used consistently, <clears throat> When they're used, they're much less energy efficient. So it is something that is factored in when we talk about your home's energy usage. You have to talk about central air and air conditioning if you live in the United States. Yeah, and with warming and in a lot of places seeing heat waves and un in unpredictable regions, it is becoming a thing. Absolutely. So how your electricity is provided, um, it's huge. I know out here in California, similarly, we have a community choice energy cooperative. There's been a big movement to draw through the utility company more of our electricity from solar and wind. But we still have most of our homes have, uh, as you said, David, the water heater, um, sometimes the furnace in the winter and also the stove are often natural gas, which is, is not a clean energy source. Yeah. So um, given, you know, that, that was it and you changed gas because it was good for cooking and it was really, you know, that's what everybody did. What made you decide to go solar? And in the time you first thought about it to the time that you started working on it, what has changed about the solar technology? Also say too that we we put in the gas stove because where I grew up, my father worked for the power company, the electric company, right, um, out yeah. in Eastern Colorado for the for the Rural Electric Association, and um, out there. So out in Colorado, we had snowstorms and there would be power outages because the snow would bring the lines down, like that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. having a father who is who worked for the electric company and whose job it was was to go out and restore power when it was out, mm -hmm. um, he was very insistent that we have gas heat, mm -hmm. a gas stove, 
so that even if we lost power, we would have heat and we could cook. <clears throat> so I guess when we moved in here, that's kind of the mindset we had too, was like, well, we don't want to like put all of our eggs in one utility. You know, like I like the, liking the idea of having gas and electric, you know, to have that um, variety, um, you know, for our energy source. For right. Energy, and for especially in case here. something happens. You know, in case we lost power or stuff like that, we could still have some utility working. You know, we could still have heat. We could, still, we could cook. Um, you know, it's possible kind of a thing. That's, that's kind of the mindset there was to have that diversity of, of energy source. Um, so solar, now as we've learned about gas, you know, natural gas, is not the cleanest, it's not the greatest idea. Um, well, with the incentives that have come around with the federal government and the state government, um, that has really helped us. Like, we've always wanted to use, to go to solar. We've always wanted to incorporate solar into our plan, but it's just, it's been so difficult to even try to get it, find it, you know, try to get it. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it'd be really worthwhile, you know. Uh, you know, there's a price point where it's it's a rich man's toy kind of a thing, down bringing it down to something that regular people can actually invest in, and that's getting right. to that now where regular people can invest in it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that really helped us a lot with our decision was that now we can and. Because I've looked at it off and on over the years, and especially because a a friend of ours who now has she's a a circle sanctuary community member who has since moved out of her home and she's doing the RV life, uh, mm -hmm. but her home in Maryland does still has solar panels. They're older, and it was something that they purchased through a long-term leasing program. It wasn't mm -hmm. a, a different kind of program that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And that was what was available. You had to lease them for a minimum of a certain number of years, et cetera, et cetera. And even that seemed cost prohibitive or to just for the regular homeowner to just have them put on their home without any other incentives that we're going to talk about is really, really expensive. You're talking about an absolute minimum of no less these days in 2022 prices, at least 15000 and that's the cheapest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, so that's like more expensive than repairing most roofs. Exactly. And, and, yeah. too, with the lease, and with the lease program, too, when they were trying to sell their house, that's what it really stuck up on them was that they, was a lease, they were leased. So when they put their house on the market, any potential buyers had to also be willing to assume the lease. Mm -hmm. or, or, as mm -hmm. part of I know I, I worked with two congregations previously doing that because they were doing that. And it was very complicated. The trustees were just, you know, really reticent to get into these long-term leasing uh, contracts. But so you say it's different now. The technology is different now. What's different? Well, the big difference is now and it's worth noting that at the beginning of the hour, I talked about Germany. Mm -hmm. Germany has, and other European countries have led the way with homes and small businesses being able to use solar by incorporating something called net metering. And what net metering is, is that you have your solar panels and there is a, an additional bit of technology that instead of it being directly connected 
to only your home, it can go back to the power grid. So anything you are not immediately using goes back to your local, regional, whatever, power grid, and they will use that energy. Now, as part of that process, that power company also keeps track of what is going back into their power grid. So there is a, for lack of a better term, a bonus or a surplus. And that allows a couple of things. The main thing is that you build up a quote-unquote credit so that on rainy days or at night, you are not going to be drawing power and paying for power from that electric company. Because Mm -hmm. it is inevitable that in all of the companies, all the solar companies do this, they will size your what you need based on your usage, but it's usually probably a little bit extra to to have that buffer so that during those times when you are using less, but your solar panels are making more than you use, then it goes back to the grid. And that benefits the utility company because then they are also able to have a little bit extra energy that comes from a renewable source. Mm-hmm. So it is a so their storage. They can use their storage during prime time, which comes yeah. from your capture. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. prior to this, one of the big issues that homes also had was they had to have a way to store the excess energy. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. you'd have to have batteries, big giant batteries in your home, and those mm-hmm. are horrible for the environment. They use rare mm-hmm. metals and et cetera, et cetera. And there's all the issues that come from that. Added mm-hmm. yes, a big added expense. And so this allows the homeowner to really have mm-hmm. the best of both worlds. Wow. Yeah. So so what I'm understanding, let me let me see if I'm getting this right. You're not maintaining a big battery at your house. In other words, you're you're capturing it through your panels, but it's but you're collaborating with the utility company that's storing it. Right. And then you're getting, I guess, a discount or something, or a buffer during so, prime time usage or something. Right. So, for example, if our system produces 790 megawatt hours per month, for example, mm-hmm. that's about what ours is going to produce is about 790. Um, no, actually we use, that's what we use is about 790. So if our system produces 850 megawatt hours a month, mm-hmm. but that month we only use 790, well, the mm-hmm. next bit goes back into the grid mm-hmm. to be used for whatever. And, and after a certain point, we start getting credit back for how much energy we've given the grid, you know, our, our, co- our company, but then yeah. on cases where, but it also balances out that if we, if it's if our system's producing 850, and instead of using 790, we use um, 950 that month, mm-hmm. then the energy that we get back is against that credit. Okay. That. So we still have to pay. So we're we'll be paying basically what we're setting up. Well, basically what we do is we set up. We pay a flat fee to pay off the loan, the financing for the solar system. Mm-hmm and a set fee to the power company to stay connected. Mm-hmm. Which is like 15 mm-hmm. bucks a month, something really and, cheap. And, wow. 
except for exceptional cases, that's our flat expenses for our electrical energy per month is paying for the solar system and the connection fee to the power company. So like in the winter, oh, I'm sorry, that's going to be gas. But I mean, for, for your, is this is just fueling your electricity or is it fueling everything? This is fueling, this is for the electricity. So really what it's going to hit yeah. is like in the summer when we're using the air conditioner more often, right. mm-hmm. um, we tend to use more power in July and August because it's mm-hmm. hot in the air conditioner more often for that. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the months that, but we also get the benefit of those are also the sunnier months. Mm-hmm. So our system will be producing more energy during those months too. So mm-hmm. even if, there's, if it's offset that we're using more, if there's a month that we use more than we generate, it's not going to be by much. Right. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that for our particular home, uh, we have a three-level townhouse. And mm. parts of the townhouse heat better than others. Yeah. Like in our basement, no matter what, it's always cooler down here. So we tend to use a space heater, which runs off of electricity. Yeah. So yeah. in that way, it even it helps with that. And mm-hmm. one of the other big benefits is that on those days where you are using, you know, you're using your own solar power, well, what if there is a snowstorm and you've already, later in the day, but for the day you've already banked that amount of power, mm-hmm. well, then if you have a few snowy days afterwards or cloudy days, then you overall you'll still have a bonus of nearly all of the time of electricity that has been yeah. produced. It would have to be some pretty uh, extreme weather circumstances over a long number of days in a row where you would not be producing any, or it would be really, really minimal. Because even on cloudy days, generating. it's generating. It might not right. be as much as a completely sunny day, but even yeah. on overcast days, you're yeah, generating. The only days that they will not generate is when they're covered in snow. Yeah. Now. Right. Yeah. And what's fortunate is because of the technology, they'll actually melt. The snow will melt off of them and, and, and remove and slide off. Yeah. Sooner than they would have off of your roof. Uh, yeah. And then you're generating again. So, wow. So, so we're generating again. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this has been a, a real industry-wide sort of change in, in the, the, the capture, the storage, the delivery of the electricity from solar. And I'm wondering, with so many solar providers, I don't know about you guys out there, but in California, there's like a new solar provider on every block. I mean, how the heck did you choose a home solar provider? And what do you like about the company that you've chosen? Well, actually, they started coming through neighborhoods yeah. and I had not been honestly I had not been tracking very much what was which was what was going on with a rebate for mm-hmm. using solar in the state of Virginia mm-hmm. and the guy came to our neighborhood and he came to our house he explained it and yeah, yeah. and what I and I probably have a bit of an advantage over most other people. As soon as I heard the term net metering, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, wow, they're finally using net metering in the United States because other countries have been using that for years. But U.S. laws have protected utility companies yeah. 
and it was in their best interest to not allow such things. And the laws have changed such mm-hmm. that now utility companies have to allow it. Right. Yeah, other countries that, have managed to leapfrog a lot of the, the, pol- the politics that have hamstrung a lot of our forward progress here. But, yeah, hopefully things can change. So, so you had a guy come through the neighborhood and basically tell you about it. Is that how you chose your company? Yeah, we checked some other others too, and they were pretty on the same par with what they were all talking about. So. Now, convenient, yes, yeah. conveniently, mm-hmm. uh, we did have a short window of time to say no, even after we agreed to it. And at that point, I did a bunch of comparing and looking at other companies to see what they. And one of the big selling points for this company, for me personally, and I think probably other companies do too, but not all of them is that this particular company, can I mention the company? Uh, yeah, sure. It's uh, Ion Solar, and they're not in every single state, but they are in some states already. Many states. Um, and and just, for our, just for our audience, w- w- they are not sending us a check for that. <laughs> Ion no, Solar. Not. Yes, um, that's right. So we are not, you know, contracted with them to promote. But I'm interested in the one you chose and what criteria you would tell other people to look for in choosing a company. Yeah. Criteria is that this company makes their panels in the United States. Ah, okay. And why is that a big deal? Well, Mm. there's a couple of reasons why it's a big deal. Number one is you are likely to have panels that are going to have a guarantee. Ours have, is it a lifetime? Or is it like a 30-year guarantee or something? I think it's a 30-year guarantee. So Mm -hmm. if anything happens to them where something's not working, their people are going to come out at no cost to us and fix whatever is wrong. Okay, that's a big point. Yeah, That is a big point. If you buy it from some company that has – that where they're being manufactured somewhere in Southeast Asia and in particular in China because they are globally – China is the top producer of solar panels around the world. Mm-hmm. The reason why they are is because they mine their rare earth metals mm-hmm. using every ever unsafe, uh, environmentally unfriendly technology that's available. They're likely to use it because it's the cheapest and they have cheaper labor. And they have cheaper labor standards and everything that goes along with it. So there's that element of it. And just a simple fact that you've got to get them from another part of the world. So that was a big thing for us was just the the, the carbon footprint of the transport of the manufacturing of the, of the, uh, you know, the the manufacturing process of, you know, when they're made, not to rag on China, but they are the largest, largest builder and, and, you know, producer of the, of this item. So they don't use, very good practices that are environmentally friendly to create these, to make these. So there's, there's a lot of damage to the environment just in the manufacturing process that's not done in the United States because the U.S. has, has stricter, for, for all of the U.S. that America has a lot of room for growth, more strict and more, more regulated here than it is in China. So there's, there's that. There's also the, the carbon footprint of the transport of the materials, you know. So we yeah. did a math. Of, of you know how much ours so our panels are going to weigh about 43 pounds a piece 42 pounds a piece 
and we'll have 21 panels. We did the math for how much that is. And, you know, and how much if, we, if they were to do the entire, our entire complex of 300 some odd units, you know, that's 100 and, what do I say, 130 tons of panels. So how, long, how, much, how much energy does it take to transport that many solar panels from China to a port and then drive them across country or whatever train, or whatever, to get them, you know, to these coasts where we're at to, to here versus ours are made on the West Coast. They're in the Western U.S. Yeah, they're made in Washington State. In Washington State. So the transport cost from an environmental impact is a lot less. Wow. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's what for our thing is, it's not just that, that what is the benefit of it here for us now, but for a lot of things that we that we purchase and, and we the discussions we get about like you know paper or plastic or reusable shopping bags and what kinds of cars and everything else, we tend to look back into the carbon footprint requirement to transport items from place to place and that kind of stuff too. So the manufacturing and transport. So that's that's that to us that's a big thing. Is there right here in the US. There's a whole field of study on that. Yeah. And it's called life cycle analysis. Yeah. And we've been doing life cycle analysis and we didn't even know it. No. <laughs> for yeah. years and years. Amateur analysts. Amateur but life cycle analysis. Sir. That is something you raise. I love the fact that you raise that because that is something that uh, certainly through Circle Sanctuary, Green Faith, anyone who's trying to, to honor the earth and to be progressive about this is that we, we need to be doing that with, with all of our consumerism, you know, mindful consumerism, life cycle analysis. Okay, so made in the U.S., lower carbon footprint for transport. It sounds like labor practices, mining practices, far more ethical in the U.S. than elsewhere. There's accountability. Any other criteria for selecting a solar company that you would recommend to people? Um. Well, one of the things that I liked about our about this company in particular was that they have um, an app that I have on my phone. It's the Ion Solar app, and with this app, I'm able to track the process that we're in right now in getting to the installation part part of things. There's like ten steps um, mm-hmm. for the process, and we are halfway through the process. Contract is signed. Site's been surveyed. There's been a notice to proceed. Design's been completed. The utilities, it's got to be approved by the utility company. They've approved the process or approved it. Right now, it's with the city for um, permit approval. We had to go through the HOA approval process, too. Um, And then there's install scheduled, inspection, utilities, permission to operate, and then it's done. So there's actually like 10 steps in the entire process to where it's from beginning to finish kind of thing. And it's all tracked. I can track the process on my phone. Um, one of the things we like about this company has been that they've been very communicative during this process. Um, with emails and messages, I get the updates for things and they ask questions. And they've been very good about this, about the process. And, and it hasn't been just a, okay, you sign up for it and then you just sit and wait, you know, to see what's going on. Right, they've and you been, wouldn't know what was, what was going they've on. They've very engaged. Yes. you know, in the process and keeping us updated with what's been happening. And transparent. Yeah. I like the idea of transparency yeah. because yes. it keeps the homeowner engaged in the whole process. Right. So they know that they're being listened to. So if something has happened, then, and if there's a potential problem that mm-hmm. the homeowner may have, like the whole HOA issue, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, then it can be addressed 
sooner rather than later. Yeah, and they've been really good about responding to questions. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like really good customer service, but I like I like what you point out about that is that there's accountability, they're transparent. Uh, for those of you who who couldn't see the app when David held it up to me, you know, it's got a screen, it's got all ten stages right there. You can see shaded where they are in the process. It's it's a learning experience going through it. Um, so it, it sounds like you all feel empowered about and, what's and happening. Also, exactly, and it's also got once it's installed, there's a monitoring section of this too, where I can monitor on a weekly, monthly, yearly, or custom, you know, rate kind of monitor our 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 power process what's going on um once it's installed i can monitor how much is being produced every day and that, that kind of stuff um i can also see on here um what's interesting is i can I, there's a there's an option on the on the app for installs and i can see where nationwide they have installed their systems in other parts of the country in our area and nationally which is kind of to see you know for somebody who's really concerned about we need to improve how much solar power is being used in renewable energy stuff. It's nice to see that, you know, for example, up in the Pacific Northwest, this company has done um, 1.2, uh, installs between in Oregon and Washington in the Northwest, um, 7,000 in California. So we can kind of see that they're, they're, you know, they're, they're getting them out there. This company has done this many, much less there's other companies out there putting it out there too. And, you know, we'd like to see those numbers grow. So, yeah. So, um, and, and I got to say, we, we were saying before we started, you know, the idea of uh, this kind of app technology is just, I mean, that just seems amazing to be dealing with solar installation and having access to that through an app, uh, that kind of information. That's, that's really cool. And that's very different. Um, what other kinds of infrastructure pieces are involved? You said panels and an app and collaboration with the utility company, what else might people expect as an infrastructure requirement? With this type of, uh, yes, the roof. Um, your roof needs to be in good shape. And mm. conveniently, because we needed to get it done for a few years now, and with COVID and everything else going on, we put it off and we finally got it done this spring, actually about a month before <laughs> the guy started coming around neighborhoods and talked about it. We had just gotten our roof replaced. Boy, that's timing. It is great timing. Yeah. You need to have a roof in good shape. I would say, and this is just my own personal estimation on things, by our thinking, David and I's thinking, we prob one needs a roof probably no older than about 10 years old. Now, ah. that could be variable, depending on the part of the U.S. you live in, because some areas don't get that kind of weathering. Others get much more weathering and potential damage mm -hmm. with storms, especially winter-related storms, like heavy mm -hmm. rains and or heavy snows. Freezing and thawing. Freezing and thawing, things like that. So that number could be less than what I'm thinking or more than what I'm thinking, depending on, you, you know, individual roof so you need to have a good roof and that can be one of the barriers that will hold up somebody from getting this done is that sort of thing so it is something you need to be mindful of and is the roof process, I'm, so, yeah, go I'm ahead. sorry i'm sorry 
No, I think it is rooftop the only option. Like sometimes people have a porch overhang and they want to create a roof over that overhang and put panels on that, or they might want to have stand-up panels in the backyard. Is, is this something that works with that at all, or it has to be on a rooftop? What you run into is you need a quantity that's going to give you enough power for it to be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So the okay. panels only produce a certain amount. And um, for like for our home, we're going to have a 7.9 kilowatt hour system installed, um, which is going to be 21 panels, and it's going to be on both, both sides of the roof. Um, some wow. others in our neighborhood are getting a 3.4, 3.5, 3.6 kilowatt hour systems that take up, takes up half of the roof of a townhouse. Okay. So, um, you know, it, it depends on what you're looking for and how much, how much you're really trying to, to get from the solar. Um, now, yeah. interestingly that, that you mentioned that sure. when the guy was talking to us and he showed lots of different examples, mm -hmm. he did include houses that also had like a garage where mm -hmm. less was on the home part and some was also on the garage yeah. As well mm -hmm. or instead of. Yeah. So there is some variability, but one big factor needs to be the pitch of the roof. And I honestly, I don't know whether or not they do installations on properties where maybe some of the panels are on the roof and the rest is in the backyard. I don't know that they actually I, do that. And I would imagine if you had enough land to put up to put something up on your land where like, you know, a structure mm. that's planted and stuff where you can put the panels on so they're not actually on your house, but like mm. nearby, if you had the land and in an area that didn't have rules of getting, you know, that, you know, that, that there was more, more open to be able to do things that you could customize to do something like that. I've seen videos of somebody online that lives up in, in, uh, in, in West Virginia, he's kind of off the grid and he's got a solar panel system set up, but it's on mm -hmm. a structure altogether. It's specifically made for, the solar panels to be on and then he's got his converters and his storage and that kind of stuff underneath right and he uses that so it but yeah it it can be done um it can be done yeah um but if you just want to have like a couple of panels over your over your gazebo that may not be enough to make right. it worth doing yeah um yeah. so that is something to think about and good it question. can be, it is a good question. And it's probably going to be highly variable depending on the particular company you go with. And you'd have to look and see what they offer specifically. And in the day of the here and now where we have internet and everybody, every real company has, um, what do you call it? They have a website and all the bells and whistles on that particular website that will tell you everything in great detail to sell their product. They also have lots of gallery images, right? And so if they are a good company, they will show all the different examples. I think what you get into with logistics is that in doing this type of thing, that power has to end up coming back to your home. Yeah. So you have a little power. Mm -hmm. So they produce electricity. You have a, and this company in particular has every panel has their own little power inverter to invert it to 
from DC to AC. Something like that. Um, yeah. And that's what your home uses. So it can't be, you know, a, a long, a far distance from from where the panels are to it going into your home. So the ideal will, would be um, it being closer, which is why the roof is probably the best. It's not impossible to do, and I know the technology exists to run longer lines. It's just that the easiest thing is to put it on the roof. Great. Well, it's so, definitely not impossible. Well, and thank you for that explanation. So um, I'm hearing that your roof's got to be in good shape, and you, you kind of got to start by figuring out how much electricity do you need to generate, how many panels will you need, where's the best place for them to go with the company you're analyzing, all of that. Are you ready, in fact, uh, to, to, to install them because of the roof preparation, the slope, and, and all of that, right? And and so that is a really big part of the decision making right there. It's a big like part of the decision making. And there's also which way your roof is facing. Oh, that's so right. So thankfully, our oh. house, is, ours is, we're not quite north, we're not, so our house, the front of our house faces um, northeast, east, northeast, and the, the back of our house is more west, northwest. So we're not quite east, west, north, south. Right. So we're tilted a little bit, so which is why it's it's going to work for us to have panels on both halves of the roof. Mm-hmm. But if your if your roof is if your house faces if it's more like east west, then you know you wouldn't it would be no point in putting the panels on the north half of the north facing side of the of the roof. It'd be on the south facing side, that kind of stuff. So there's there's also the orientation of your roof and which way it's which way it's oriented. That's also going to determine how many panels you can have that's really worthwhile and how much it's going to generate based yeah. on the sun that it could possibly get. Now, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Which yeah. So the direction that your home faces is, is also a thing. <clears throat> but then also something to think and think of and to keep in mind is if, and since you talked about the possibility of having panels set up like on a device on your land, what if you have a house that sits on two acres? But let's say your roof is, and I've seen these in in some southern homes in some areas, the the metal roof, Uh the cheap metal roof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You don't see it on the West Coast, but you see it in the South. Yeah, I was going to ask about material. Yeah. Yeah. The roof material. Yeah. So if you have the land area, but your roof isn't going to support panels, you could still Mm -hmm. have you can still have solar. So that's another thing to think of. So it's not impossible. It's just you have to think differently. And that also means your company, the company that you go with, Mm. needs to be a company that can think outside the box with that as well. So it's definitely not an impossible thing at all. Gee, can you guys do Adobe solar? Yeah. You've got Adobe roofs, you got metal roofs, you got oh, you know all yeah, kinds of shingle had, roofs. I mean, all kinds of things. Yeah, right. That, and that, that's that's their roof. job. Yeah. And if you had a flat roof, mm. you know, get another place, mm. right? Then they would have they would actually build a structure, you know, build mounts and stuff on on there for them to, to angle mm-hmm. to properly and stuff like that too. So we've certainly seen that. that. So yeah, yeah. Again, it's not an impossible thing no. at all. And. 
And anything before we switch to community barriers, anything else um, people need to think about in either choosing a company or in thinking thinking whether they're ready, whether their home is ready to accommodate solar. Anything else we want to touch on there? And then I'm going to ask you about community barriers because that's the other part of it. Um, Jeanette, I'm not hearing. There you go. Yeah. I think that might be the. Some of the things we've mentioned are the probably the biggest considerations are okay. the the logistics and the infrastructure of your own home. Yeah, sounds, sounds really doable. Yeah, David. It can be, you know, and then you get into the your state and local laws and regulations and rules and that kind of stuff too that you might need to, you know, get into. But yeah. Well, well, what do what do right. people need to what do people need to know about that? Like like you you for example, you folks are in a townhome, you're in an HOA, you're in an urban suburban environment, you're in a state. What what are some of those issues you've had to address outside of just your home? So, um, starting at like starting closest with the HOA. Um, when we first moved into our townhouse, the HOA rule was no solar panels. Okay, that was part of the their architectural review, their architectural standards of the of the association was their solar panels were not permitted. That's so that was another thing that helped that held us back for the longest yeah. time of getting solar was like, well, the HOA won't let us. Um, then, in the early 2000s, the state passed a law that required that um, HOAs allow solar, but they were also allowed to provide. To, they were also allowed to set reasonable restrictions. Hmm. Kind of vague. So in most cases, what that usually meant was the HOA would pass a rule saying, okay, you can have solar, but it could not be visible from the street. It couldn't be, you know, and that, that kind of stuff to keep it, you know, because the HOA is usually very concerned with the appearance of the neighborhood in general and that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, you can only have it like on the back of your house, someplace that wasn't visible from the free street. It couldn't be obtrusive. There were, you know, things like that that they would that they would say, right? And then, just a few years ago, a couple years ago, 2020, I think it was, um, state of Virginia. And I'm just talking about the state of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Passed another law that said, first they said that at least one percent, right, of the state's power mm-hmm. needs to come from renewable sources, or I think it was at least two percent. It was two percent. Um, one or one percent of that, or or the or the total one percent, or said there was a percentage of that that could come from residential sources, from residential mm-hmm. solar. So you know, like recognizing that that metering and stuff is available, they could you know we can get it back. So you know, by allowing homeowners, by opening it up even more for homeowners to get solar, helps the state meet its requirements for statewide renewable energy because it's coming back and this, that kind of thing. So there's, there's some interesting ways that, that kind of came about. But in that rule, it also said, um, and I've got the state code, actually in Virginia, it's state code 55.1-1820.1, install installation of solar panels. Um, and it says right there that the big change is that it says right off the bat, no association shall prohibit an owner from installing a solar energy collection device on their property unless the recorded declaration for the association establishes a prohibition. So it has, if it's in the 
declaration or the bylaws of the association, then it stands. But if it's just in the architectural handbook documentation kind of stuff, then the HOA has to change its rules and have to recognize this and allow, uh, allow these. And that an HOA could not restrict an application for a system that um, reduced the energy production of the collection device proposed by 10% or increased the cost by 5% of the projected cost. So you can basically walk into your HOA and say, I want to put solar panels on my entire roof. Here's my application. And there's really not much they can do anymore to say no about it. So that really, because so many developments, so many homeowners in, you know, around the country are in HOAs, those are yeah. usually the biggest blocks to putting up solar panel power. The state of Virginia really um, mm -hmm. overturned, they didn't overturn, but they, they opened the door. They, yes, they so, opened the yes. door. And I, the, probably, and I'm not a lawyer, but I would say it's entirely possible, depending on how a state, uh, an HOA's bylaws are written and what existing laws are in place mm -hmm. in that particular state, that you, an HOA or an individual might be able to legally challenge their HOA based mm -hmm. on existing laws that might help them open the door to allowing yeah. solar on, you know, in their particular housing development. Right. Well, we've dwelled on this for a minute for, for yeah. our listeners, because this is one of the biggest barriers for anybody who's not living in a single family home unit or what you call the detached houses. If they're having to live in any kind of uh, town house situation, which so many, so, so much urban development is looking at now with so many commuter folks kind of preferring that kind of housing in many cities. Um, has been uh, exactly what you talk about. They just say no flat out. And unless you know how to read the HOA rules or unless you, like you, David, get on the board of your HOA and become an influencer, I'm wondering if some of these solar companies um, are, are getting smart themselves about advocating. Uh, you know, with other kinds of services like veteran services, I've thought of people really uh, who represent a, a company providing services will know all about benefits. I'm wondering if some of these solar companies know some of the HOA uh, rules or at least how to read them can help you with that. They know the state laws. They can help interpret that for you. Are you aware of that? They are. And in fact, the company that came to our door, that came to us, they're the ones who told us, like, hey, by the way, the state changes law, blah, blah, blah. Most Great. HOAs have a rule that says this. And this new law supersedes these rules, and this is this. They actually advocated to us, like, this is, here, yeah. did you know this? We're like, and no, we didn't, I didn't know. know that. We didn't I didn't, know. Because we don't really track every change that's made. It's not, you know, every, so, like, oh, really? Like, oh, Perfect. yeah. And they even, they even helped put together the application, the architectural review application to the HOA. And Perfect. to the point that they submitted it on our behalf. You know, they, yeah. they emailed it to me like, hey, we need your digital signatures. Da, 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 da. Okay, and then we emailed it, right? And so, you know, they, they're – so a lot of these companies are – because for them, it's good business. You know, this is what they do to get business. Sure. And they, you, know, you know, to make the sales and get the systems in and make the money. 
So it's on. It really is to their benefit that they that they do this, and they they do help the homeowners be aware of the rules and the laws and stuff in the, in the area. I would recommend. And this isn't just this is for single family and townhomes that have an, they're in an HOA environment. You know, if you have a homeowners association. So the real take home there is, if you live in an HOA, get the most recent copy of your rules, and do a search on your state on your state's website for the laws regarding solar panel power and reach out to your local, oh, and even our local utility, Novak, has information on their website about how to go about converting to solar and they will even help you do that. Perfect, because that was right. another barrier is people felt completely like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how to read that, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to advocate. Right. And they just ex- accepted the no up front, whereas it sounds like now the whole industry is geared to helping advocate for you to get solar. Yeah, yes. a lot more that, yeah. There's, it seems to be moving a lot more in that direction than it was even 10 years ago mm-hmm. because right. the technology is there, the technology has gotten cheaper. And mm-hmm. again, we're talking about solar as an example, but renewable energies in general are mm-hmm. cheaper per kilowatt hour than it was even a decade ago. And that only helps everybody in every aspect of the process. But for you, the homeowner, doing your research is going to be a a big part of it. And going back to choosing a good company, a company that does that sort of thing, that advocates for you, is a really big plus because it takes yeah. that level of worry out of your hands. It does. Totally. They would even, yeah. yeah. And, and, and this company would even go, They, when we were talking to the sales guy, you know, he said he has even gone to HOA board meetings to mm-hmm. help explain to HOA boards the mm-hmm. rules, laws and stuff. I mean, they'll actually come to your to your HOA, you know, meetings and stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and talk to it so that these companies and are getting a lot more active for that to to get it out because they recognize that well they're in the business to sell solar so it's good business for them but they also have a desire to help get everything converted over and use as much renewable energy as possible right. because it it's good for the climate you get a sense that and I can't say that with every company and every salesperson but I think many companies and many people at these companies are doing this because they feel it is the wave of the future and it is the right direction to move in. So they believe in what they're doing. Yeah. And yeah, people I, I agree with you. Yeah. When they believe in what they're doing, they, they're going to be a lot more motivated also mm-hmm. to help the whole process along. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm going to guess, and, and in a lot of industries are considered sort of liaison uh, positions. I mean, they're, they're part marketing, but part of the marketing strategy is, as you say, having people who are knowledgeable, who are passionate about the, the movement, they see themselves as part of a movement of clean energy, um, and they're trained to advocate um, and to educate, you know, much the way a lot of us do about things, whether or not we're paid commission on it or not, right? Um, and so I'm thinking this, this piece has got to be making it a lot easier for urban planning, for uh, urban suburban planning to incorporate more solar. I mean, what do you think? the United States that you're talking about. Right. In I'm sorry, older, can you say that again? Uh, oh, sorry. In the part of, it depends on the part of the United States that you're talking about. 
Okay. If it is old East Coast cities, mm-hmm. like New York City, Boston, mm-hmm. related cities, New England, yeah. up in New England, or even Washington, D.C., cities that have a, um, a large population per square mile, then mm-hmm. there are little to no excess space available for that type of urban planning to exist. No wow. Because, yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. you'd have too many barriers and obstacles to create something like that. Now, as areas have moved outward, the possibility exists, but it still is going to depend on the region of the United and again, we're talking about only the United States. The region of the United States that you're talking about. If it is a part of the United States where more area is being converted from farmland that is used up, then I think the possibility for that is better than, let's say, again, on the East Coast, which is still, even if it's not old growth forest, is still heavily forested. So as part of urban planning, it, it would not be a good idea to chop down a forest of trees to put in uh, or to create one of these agri-hoods that you've talked about um, where you have solar panels and wind turbine and a community garden type setup mm-hmm. because then you chop down trees, therefore contributing to climate change and also drastically reducing yeah. um, carbon sequestration that naturally exists right. in forests. But if it's a new development going in where there's already like farmland, I mean, we see a lot of these town, a lot of these communities and things and growth going on where there's like what it used to be a farmland. It used to be like, there's an area right near our house across the street here over here where it used to be like a, a grass farm where they, used, they grew grass and now right. it's houses that have gone yep. in there. So that's, you know, yep. where um, the idea of, of, I mean, we'd be really big advocates of any kind of rules, regulations, or requirements that would require new construction to have solar panels, I think would be a great idea because that's a perfect time to put solar onto a house is when the house is being built. It's a brand new roof, brand new solar system, and all that kind of stuff. I think it'd be great to do that kind of thing. It'd be an awesome. Um, I'd be so much behind that kind of law uh, and requirement that, that new construction, new homes have solar. Um, where impossible, put up some wind. You can get you know wind turbines that for a home there's definitely systems out there that are actually pretty affordable to even uh, augment that with, with wind um, depending on the, on the, on your geography of where you're at and stuff like that. But that's, that could be a possible thing where, you know, each new homes has new homes, each new home has solar and maybe uh, the option for, you know, wind turbine too, to kind of help offset and, and augment uh, the power for renewable. Um, there's a lot of chances for that. I think converting, existing properties is going to be tough because like for solar, you need to do a roof and there's so many things and stuff like that, but moving forward with new construction, let's do that. Let's put solar panels on new homes. Let's put, you know, a wind station in the neighborhood stuff to generate wind power for the local regions. It doesn't need to be the big wind turbines that you see. No, out the, the designs are so different now. But yeah, turbine they've got these little so cylindrical things that, that, mm-hmm. that are really low impact, low, that, be great for this kind of stuff. Yeah. They don't kill eagles 
<laughs> yeah, they've got all kinds of designs that are really friendly and very user. So, so moving forward, what I'm hearing you say is like the heavily, the older, very established, uh, heavily built up urban situation. It's very hard to convert some of that urban planning over. But when we're continuing to move out, like urban sprawl, moving out into former farmland, it, there are ways to really develop this kind of green infrastructure for yeah. um, community living consisting of detached homes, community townhouse kind of homes, hopefully apartment buildings and things like that too. So whether someone's renting or owning, this is going to be far more ubiquitous. I want right. to pick it for just a minute here because yep. we've only got a few minutes left. Um, and, and think about, you know, as pagans, uh, we work with elemental energy, including for sure that of fire of sun. And we're talking about solar energy and, as we think about powering our homes with solar energy, is there anything you can think of in the way of, of magical working about uh, solar energy, working magic, magically with solar energy that would be helpful as well? Um, I'm going to jump in and while you think about it, or Jeanette, were you about to say something there? Yeah. Okay, I'm not hearing you. Oh, oh, sorry. One of the things that popped into my head as you were talking about this, since the element of fire is associated with passion and creativity mm. and with motivation, even if you don't have solar, this you can utilize this these this elemental force as something maybe to help you get motivated to learn more about solar energy to mm-hmm. find out what's going on in your state which you are or are not allowed to do and what you might be more your home might be more amenable to having solar energy than you previously maybe thought about, or you maybe thought about it and then thought, well, there's no way I could possibly afford it. But with these new rebate programs, like the one that we are going to be utilizing, we're not ever going to pay our utility company again. We're going to be paying basically a we'll pay to be hooked up. We'll pay to be hooked up. But we're probably not going to be paying for electricity from the power company. Right. And in, and in many cases, they're going to pay us. Yeah, that's for, for the power we're giving. That them. is true because so, that's a more direct relationship with the sun, right there, for practical yeah. magic as well as there's the whole practical yeah. magic aspect. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I think you can kind of utilize those forces to empower yourself mm-hmm. to do the research and to search this out, to find out more about it. And also maybe to help motivate you from a political standpoint Mm -hmm. to, even if you go as small as your own HOA board, Mm -hmm. what a great idea to even just try to get on the board or just be involved in your HOA to find out what's going on, to see what is and is not allowed to help get the ball rolling. Yeah. And in many cases, just to get on the HOA board, you just need to show up. Like for ours, yes. honestly, for ours, I mean, I walked up to, I walked in to get the application approved for our roof. 
I mean, I, I wanted to make sure I wanted to be there to answer any questions if you had any questions. I didn't need to show up, but I wanted to be there for it. So I showed up for that. And they're sitting there like, you know, we're down two members. You want to join the board? Because you showed up to this meeting. So you obviously know where we're at. You know, like just that much was enough to like, you want to be on the board? Um, so, I mean, just in <laughs> an influencer case, position waiting to happen. It's, <laughs> it's amazing like that where, I mean, just, just like, I mean, we've, we've known people who've talked about like, just show up. I mean, and how much of a difference does it make to just show up? And in this case, it's like, yeah, show up. Um, and you can right, have an influence, right. you know? Yeah. So, you know, use that, use that, that sun energy, the fire energy to motivate you to get involved, research and get involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to, to stop this wonderful conversation. My goodness. Yeah. Use that sun energy practically and energetically to just get motivated to get involved, to show up. So that wraps up our time for this installment of the Blue Marble Podcast. Thank you to our audience for listening and thank you to our special guests, uh, Jeanette and Dave Ewing today. Um, new Blue Marble podcasts air live on the third Friday of every month at 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern times. You can always download past Blue Marble podcasts on the CSNP network, www.blogtalkradio.com CSNP, or you can follow on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Reverend Charlotte Bear. If you value what you heard here today, please share this information with others. Earth, my body, water, my blood, air, my breath, and fire, my spirit.
joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connecting the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash csnpodcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, 